I am truly grateful for this opportunity to be here um, and to share with you guys um, what I believe God has put on my heart um, and to talk about um, courage. Uh, I just want to first uh, say uh, one of the most courageous people I know uh, is my wife, Robin, um, who is first um, maybe even slightly crazy for saying I do to me. Uh, and spending the rest of her life with me, so I'm grateful for her. Um, and so we got a new baby, and so she, I'm sure, didn't sleep very much last night. I'm not really sure, because I was asleep. Um, <laughs> but I'm assuming she didn't, because she has a newborn baby. Um, and so I'm just grateful for that and, and her. And so when I think about um, just some of the stuff Jules just shared and the community I come from, um, I think about the burden that I started with. Um, and I, I loved telling stories, and the way that I would normally tell a story back in the day would be through um, hip-hop and poetry. And so I wrote something years and years ago that kind of reflected, and I kind of moved me to this place on this burden. Um, it goes like this. It was like, I think I can remember. It was December. My pops stopped through. He had to see how we were and give gifts too. A nice blazer, some slacks, and some dress shoes. He was looking quite nice, good to see you. Is what my mom said to him as she stood by. She said hi, but never looked my dad in the eye. It's Christmas Eve, yeah, he dropped in to see his boys. It's been a while, but at least he brought Christmas toys. Some time ago, he walked away from his first wife, leaving three kids, a home, and a former life. He gave his keys to my brother. He was 10 then. For a moment, man, I thought he would be back again. It didn't happen. And we really didn't see him much. Even his family cut us off. They ain't mess with us. But talk to us. Yo, we dealing with this bad weather. I guess it's true, nothing good gonna last forever. My dad would call to let us know he was on his way. Then he wouldn't show just to say he couldn't do that day. We be waiting in the wonder for his Cotter show. We was just some little kids, we ain't even know. Two weeks later, he would call, he say he had to work. The nice lie that he would tell just to mend the hurt. If we really needed something, he was never there. If we needed his concern, he ain't even care. Child support, yeah, yes of course, mom got a share. But he would curse my moms out and say it wasn't fair. He calling early in the morning, putting on a show. He had to get his point across. He had to let her know. But see, he never talked the time to talk to me for real. See, I never got a chance to tell him how I feel. I never got to say, man, I hate you. But it didn't last forever when I needed you. See, that's, that was my burden coming into that community. That I felt what it was like not to know what a real family looked like. That was tough, but it was an, enough for me to say going into this community before I ever showed up in Dade County, I was burdened for family. Before I even knew that church was not like family, that it is family, that I was burdened for family. And what I understood that God had got a hold of my heart. He made me a new creation. And because he had made me a new creation, I knew he could make other people in communities new creation. 
That Colossians 1.16 was clear that all things were created through, for, and by Christ. And what would a community look like if it reflected that truth? That it was created for Christ. So in 2014, when I arrived in Homestead, I didn't arrive with a sending church. I didn't show up with a robust church planning organization. I showed up with a burden. I showed up with a passion. That even when I didn't even know I was in exile, I knew I wanted to see healthy families happen in the community. But as we're worshiping, I'm reminded of something that but for God's grace, I could have been my father. But for God's grace, I could have continued that same cycle. And so now I just want to communicate. I just want to tell others of God's grace. And the courage needed to serve others and to lead in exile. Let me pray really fast. Father God, thank you for this privilege. Use me for your glory. Hide me behind your cross. I pray all of you and none of me. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. See, scripture calls all Christians everywhere to be strangers and exile no matter what culture or context you are in. They were called to be there to meet the needs of others and lack. But here's the thing I want you to remember and maybe even write down. A church in exile should not be a church in retreat. A church in exile should not be a church in retreat. We should not be backing up. We should be charging forward. That all too often, maybe we're not backing up, but we're just not moving at all. Let me help you. Neutral is just as bad. But here's the thing. Often as exiles, we seem to want to embrace the world in all of the ways we shouldn't while avoiding to engage the world in ways that we should. Let me remind you of something. We are a gospel people. We are a mission people, which means we must remain engaged in God's mission to the world. But we got to be engaged in a different way. We got to be engaged in a way that we know what the future outcome is. We have to be engaged with courage courageous believers. And God is calling us to be courageous. Rhetorically, ask yourself, what is your passion? What is your burden? What burdens you? St. Augustus, he says this, he says, hope has two beautiful daughters. Their names are anger and courage. Anger at the way things are and courage to see that they don't remain the same. Is that something that you, you see, you recognize, and you say that can't remain the same? 
Or do you see a problem and say, hey, that's there, but I'm not really sure what to do about it. Or somebody else will take care of that. We serve a providential God. When it says that God provides, it means that he sees to a thing. He recognized there's a need there, and then he sees to the need. And he's calling us as a church in exile to see to the needs of the people. Donnie spoke about that in Jeremiah just yesterday. How do we see to the welfare of the city? I hope I'm going to get her name right, but this young lady was a 1991 Nobel Peace Prize winner. She's a politician. Her name is Aung San Suu Kyi. I went to my man Miles and was like, am I saying this right? Hoping that he wouldn't say to me, why are you asking me? <laughs> but she wrote this book, and the name of the book was Voice of Hope, and she says this. She says, compassion has always aligned to courage. To live compassionately is to courageously see the connection between ourselves and others, especially those who suffer. The courage to see, the courage to feel, and the courage to act. Do we see? Do we feel? And will we act? Immediately what comes to mind when I think about a story of anger and courage I flipped over to Luke chapter 10. Would you join me there? Turn to Luke chapter 10 if you have your Bibles with you. Luke chapter 10, verse 20, 29, very familiar story. It's the story of the Good Samaritan. And I think the two things we see here is a righteous anger and courage. If you got it, say, that's what's up. It says this, but then he's desiring to justify himself, says to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was coming down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had what? Compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two dairy and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go. And do likewise. Now, contextually, we may miss some things because we were not there during that time. But as Jesus was starting this story and started with a man was going down to Jerusalem from uh, going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, everybody listening would have went like, "Ooh, 
because they know traveling that way could mean somebody might jack you. To contextualize for my brothers and sisters in the room, someone could rob you. So they understand that you know how you, every, every city has that neighborhood where you say, I don't know if you should go over there, right? So someone say, yeah, I'm going so-and-so. They may be visiting. Hey, I'm going to go down so-and-so. And you kind of go, oh, hold on. You going where? Yeah, I don't think you should go there. That's what it would have been like when he started this story saying, listen, he was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. You going where? He was going where? Why was he going there? Because he understood a person who was being robbed and beaten on this road was very likely. That's just possible to happen in that place. And that you could be in a situation to find yourself in dire straits or need because you walked through that neighborhood. Or you took that way because anybody traveling that way could be susceptible to robbers or thieves. Also, anyone that comes upon a particular victim along that road could not say they didn't see him. The road was so narrow that you would possibly have to step over that individual if you saw them there. So the priest nor the Levite had no excuse. And not to condemn them, but to be truthful, they were cowards. They weren't just callous. I believe they were cowards because I believe their response wasn't out of just being hard-hearted. They were scared. They were fearful. How many of us have chose not to do things that we know God has sent us to do because we were scared? Or chose not to go to a particular area or neighborhood or to share the truth with somebody because we were scared? This is what we see here, that they were cowards. And they ignored this victim. But Jesus being Jesus, he throws a monkey wrench in there. And he surprises them by explaining that it was a Samaritan that helped this man. And the reason this was a surprise, because the Samaritan would have been the one that they would have thought would have been actually inflicting such a thing on someone. In a Jew's view, the Samaritan would have been the robber. Listen, I don't want to get all in your Kool-Aid, but how many of you have not really reached out to a person because you just assumed they were on something that they wasn't on. Or they were about something that they wasn't really about. But maybe because of how they look or where they came from, you may have refrained from interacting, a building relationship. Listen, this parable that we read, the Samaritan that we're reading about had courage to see, courage to feel, and courage to act. But Jesus is issuing this challenge 
than to all of those standing and listening to him. Because he ends this by saying, or maybe his punchline, his drop the mic moment is, go and do likewise. He, he, he beautifully ends it. When it's done, you go do the same thing that you saw. This is a strong exhortation to courage. To stand courageous for the gospel. For us to see, for us to feel, and for us to act. It's not enough to recognize. It's not even enough to feel the burden. Oh, man, I feel that. Come on, Christian people, we're known for that. Oh, I feel you. That's, that's so hard. Mm. If you're seeing and feeling without acting, then your seeing and feeling are in vain. See, we see this, we see this happening, we see this taking place. Matthew chapter 9. Look over there. If you don't get there as fast as I do, too bad. I'm gonna read it. But we see that, and this is another familiar passage. And Jesus went throughout, verse 35, chapter 9, Matthew 9, verse 35 says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogue and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and affliction. Verse 36 says, When he saw the crowd, he had what? Compassion. And in seeing this compassion, I mean, in seeing, he felt he saw, and in seeing, he felt compassion. And as a result of that compassion, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, he says to the disciples, the harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers. Sometimes, yet all the time, we should be praying for laborers. But that shouldn't exclude us from being laborers. We should be laboring as we are praying. God, send more harvest hands. And we need courage to care for those that are harassed and helpless, for those that are distressed and dejected, for those who are visibly hurting and struggling. We need courage. And often because it's that, that fear, that very fear that I believe crippled the Levite and the priests, both religious men, crippled them, kept them from helping this guy who needed their help. Now, I'm sure they had great reasons, and most likely their reasons was this ideal of cleanliness. They weren't supposed to touch a corpse, and probably in their mind, they was like, this dude is dead. Really, is no hope for him. So it's a matter of, of touching. Growing up as a kid, I watched a lot of what we would call hood movies, all right? 
don't go back to your context using that, okay? But I'm just saying we were. And one of, my, one of mine was this movie called Menace to Society, right? And what they were doing was kind of depicting the stories of, of violence and crime happening in, in cities like L.A. Young man named Kane is riding with his cousin in the car. They're leaving a party on their way to get something to eat. They got friends trailing them. They pull up to a light. And when they get to the light, this van rolls up, and the guy breaks out with a shotgun and says, you know, break yourself, okay? In layman's terms, that means give me your car, okay? And so he, he, the guy, instead of giving him the car, he tells Kane, he says, hey, Kane, get out the car. I'm not going out like a sucker. So don't go watch the movie. Just listen to me, okay? <laughs> and so he goes to try to defend himself, grabs his own weapon, and before he could draw his weapon, the guy kills him on the spot. But in shooting him, he also shoots Kane, and Kane kind of gets out the car. They pull the guy out of the car, drive away in his car. I know, kind of graphic, right? And so as Kane, his friends kind of come up. And so he's on the ground, and he is, he is bleeding. Not, I mean, I guess I've never been shot, so I don't know how bad it was for him. But it looked really bad. So they scoop him up, blood and all. He's bleeding all over the place. They grab him up, scoop him, put him in the car, and take him away to the hospital. Now, that's their friend. That's a guy they love and they care about. And they don't mind touching him and getting up close and, and blood all over him. But, but, but that may be a different story if it's somebody you didn't know. That I want to get, get close. I'm, I'm, I'm allowing your bodily fluids and all this stuff to, to be on me because I'm serving and helping you. And some would say, man, that's crazy. Why would you do that? You don't know they could have a disease or something. But that, that would probably be an extreme, but there are even less extreme moments where we are failing to maybe become close to some people that need to know the love of Jesus. Because it's easy sometimes to just give some resources from a distance. I don't really have to be close. I don't really have to be engaged as I'm giving from a distance. But I believe God is calling us to engage our context, to engage our cities with courage and to love our neighbor well, not from a distance, but up close. Not just those that are like Cain and you know and you can care for them because I know them and, and, and we got a relationship but those you may not know because it takes courage to do that. To embrace those people you don't know and you may not yet have a relationship with and they may be sketchy and you're really not sure. I believe God is calling us to be courageous in those moments. Why? Because great need requires great action. It requires a great response. It requires us to move. Isaiah 41 says this to us. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. 
God is calling us to be courageous. But the beauty of this is he's not leaving us at this on our own. He says, I'm, uh, I'm, you've been given a great example of what it means to be courageous. See, I love the story of the Good Samaritan because I love the beauty of the fact that the truth of the story is we're that guy beaten and broken on the road. <laughs> we're not the Good Samaritan. Did you think that was the case? <laughs> that Jesus is actually this Good Samaritan. That we get to see how Jesus is the reason that we are in. We have to show courage because he's shown courage. Jesus was the one that put himself in the path of danger and took upon himself the suffering that we caused on our own. And then poured out his own resources to save us. This was Jesus' response to us, that he didn't just come to us. He sought us out. Mark chapter 2, verse 17 tells us, listen, I didn't come for the well. I came for the sick. That I'm looking for those broken and lost. We're just hoping that we would happen upon the lost people. We're hoping that they would just wander into our church buildings. Let me help you. That guy on the road wasn't going to leave that spot if someone didn't come find him. He wasn't going to survive. He wasn't going to make it. In reality, what we see in this story is a picture of radical grace. You and me. We're this guy. We're the ones in need to be rescued and saved by radical grace. That's you and me. That's us. Pastor and author J.D. Greer, he He explains it like this. I love this. He says, the word that Jesus used for what the Samaritan felt towards the man on the side of the road is one of my favorite Greek words. It's splagma, right? We translate it compassion, but in the Greek it means pity from my deepest soul. Jesus is talking less about an action you choose and more about an emotion you can't control. It's like a love so deep-seated that it comes from your gut. We're talking about something you can't control. See, when there's a burden, you can't control the burden. And see, what I want to help you, see, this is the same Greek word that we see in Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, when it says Jesus saw them and had compassion. Jesus had an emotion he couldn't control. He was burdened for those people. 
The point is we are to respond to others the way that God would respond to them. Just as the Samaritan responded to the half-dead man on the side of the road. But let me say it a little better for you. Uh, The way we should respond is the way God responds to us when we're dead in our trespasses and sin. And in need of radical grace that can only come from Jesus. Listen, Jesus' radical grace changes people. Jesus' radical grace changed me. And I would venture to say that it was his radical grace that has changed many of you in this room. It changes people. And it produces in true believers a desire to be courageously generous and compassionate. God is calling us to go beyond our boxes, to go beyond our walls, to go beyond our comfort, and to sacrifice, to give up something, to give up something, to actually lose something for the sake of the gospel. My question this morning is, What are you needing courage for? What are you needing courage for? See, the best part of this story is that the man lying in the road didn't have to earn anything. (laughs) He didn't have to prove anything. The Good Samaritan didn't walk up to him and say, hey, you got insurance? The Good Samaritan didn't walk up to him and say, hey, man, do you know Jesus? Are you a Christian? He didn't have to earn anything to be given the grace by the Samaritan. Are people in your community, in your context, needing to earn your grace? Are they needing to earn your love and your resources and your help? At the center of our faith is a man who died on the cross for the people who abused and hated him. And then he rose again so that he could extend grace to those very same people. That's courage. And to be legit, true leaders in exile, we need that courage. Not on our own through the power, the same power that raised this Jesus from the dead to be his hands and feet in our communities. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the miraculous and compassionate work of Jesus Christ. 
that you would die on the cross for the very people that abused and hated you. And that you would rise again. That you would get up from the grave just so you can extend that grace to those very same people. Father, would you help us to be courageous in our communities? Be courageous enough to invite people in our homes. To be courageous enough to give up our time. To be courageous enough to sacrifice so we may see many come to the kingdom. I don't know what that looks like for the people in this room. I'm not sure. It's probably different in every context. But Father God, would you make us courageous people and that in our courage, we would be bold enough to say that this courage only comes from a living God that empowers us to love you the way he has loved us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you.